From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 242, and today I'm joined by filmmaker Justin McConnell. Justin's made films such as Clapboard Jungle, Surviving the Independent Film Business, as well as Life Changer. Also joining us is fellow That Shelf podcaster, Daniel Grant. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down vicariously to watch Vertigo. I'm Jeremy, and I've seen this film a number of times. And with me, uh, we'll go around, uh, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I'm Daniel. I have only seen it once, uh, but I, 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 wanted, I jumped at the chance to be able to see it again, so just to make sure that I didn't have the same feeling I did the first time I saw it. And I'm Justin McConnell, and uh, I guess that makes me the one out of the three of us who actually haven't seen it. You're uh, the virgin of our yeah, episode? Yeah, the virgin, uh, with, with Vertigo at least. I, I have a lot of Hitchcock blind spots. I think I've only seen Rear Window, Psycho, The Birds, Rope, and a bunch of episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So I feel... Mm. As, as big a cinephile as I am, I, I feel very ashamed of that. And even I even own a box set of all his films, and I just I haven't worked through the whole thing yet. Oh, wow. You, so you haven't seen North by Northwest? I haven't. Oh, no. sir. Yeah, that's my will. favorite film. I absolutely will. In fact, I'm, I'm planning on like a marathon sometime in the next few months. Yeah, North by Northwest. For me, it's a tie between North by Northwest and Rear Window as my favorites. Mm-hmm. But North by Northwest is just so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I can absolutely uh, see myself watching that very soon. Um, oh, then I've seen part of Vertigo, like a very small chunk of Vertigo, because there's a scene where they're watching it in 12 Monkeys. And that particular scene actually really spoke to me, but I didn't get around to actually watching Vertigo. They're directly <laughs> referencing it and dialogue in the movie. And uh, yeah, I, anyway. That's okay. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. It's um, uh, Vertigo is one that I, uh, I don't want to spoil anything. But I'm similar to, to Daniel, where it's like it's taken me a number of times to watch it and just try to try to get all my feelings out of it without like coloring your view in any way. Yeah. But it's not it's not one of the ones that I watched and was instantly smitten with. So I but it's also one of those, it's still one of the ones that are like in his more talked about canon. So I go, there's something in here I'm not quite getting yet. Uh, and, and I think it takes a few more views to really maybe maybe I'm hoping it just takes a couple of views for the magic of Vertigo to sink in properly, because there's so many of them that I love. You know, the film that I just shot last uh, last spring uh, was, you know, we were constantly referencing Hitchcock's. I re- went and I got got to do that thing. One of my favorite things I do when I'm in prep is just rewatch a bunch of movies for, mm-hmm. for inspiration and just to steal wonderful stuff and adapt from. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was such a gift when I was in quarantine was just to like watch <laughs> Hitchcock movies for several hours a day and make notes. And, but even like more particularly, cause some of the discs I had had such great bonus features that like 
had, there's this one of the one, one of the criterions I had of his. I don't want, I think it was Saboteur, but I'm could be wrong. Had a, like a half hour segment just on his storyboarding, which wow. was incredible to watch, and also made me realize I'm like, oh shit! Like his storyboard artist came up with some of his most iconic stuff. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, I could see that happening with a lot of like really well composed films, right? The you're relying, but the storyboards are in, are influenced by the director as well, right? For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, it's not like a one to one. It, but it's just one of those things where you look at it and you're like, that that's the shot, but yeah. like drawn. So it's like either. So I'm sure Hitchcock described something, but the way the person drew it, he just shot that exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. Which was which was interesting. So what do you? So we won't give any spoilers away. But Justin, what do you know about Vertigo going into it? Literally nothing. Uh, I mean, I've somehow spent. I'm 40 now. I've somehow gone my entire life. I don't know the plot. Uh, is is James Cagney in it? Who's who's the the lead actor? Not Cagney. It's Jimmy Stewart. Oh, Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Yeah. See again. It's Jimmy Stewart. Completely flat. <laughs> yep. Completely uh, without any knowledge of the film except for that one scene with the big tree truck thing. Ah. Uh. Well, I mean, when it comes to Hitchcock, you could probably play that game where you name five male actors and one of them. Yeah, is they're in. It's, it's one of them. <laughs> yeah, and depending which actress he was assaulting in the period, you oh could probably God. narrow. Well, are, let's we, be are we gonna get into that? In the- <laughs> no, we don't need to. But here's the thing: okay. we've mentioned it, and now we can move on. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you know, especially in recent years, we've we've heard a number of stories have come out, and I don't think it was ever. I think he was never known for treating actors well, just in general. Uh, so yeah. it's no shock that the females got even worse treatment. But oh, that's he, a lot of the the auteur directors from the sixties and seventies. Well, they they were they, treated they all like, sort of. They were a lot of them have that. They had got yeah, but they had god complexes because they were worshipped mm-hmm. and adored, and so you know that certainly doesn't help if someone already has some predilections. Um, but you know, he's also you know famously known for that quote of like, "What's my motivation?" And the answer is your paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, he said he said it with that that accent too. No. Yeah. <laughs> I went like gangster with it. Yeah, <laughs> your paycheck. The the accent does uh, make it seem uh, more thoughtful when he says it. No, I'm sure the way he said it, it sounded super douchey, <laughs> and like he just didn't care. But there's a million fun stories of him. Like he was like he hated the shooting of a movie. He loved the prep of it, but like because he already he I think he said once that it's like shooting movies is boring because he's already, once he's on the storyboards, he's already shot it in his head. And now mm-hmm. he just starts thinking about uh-huh. the next movie. So he's on set, like making a movie, but he's basically just watching. Like, can you imagine if he was alive now being able to use animatronics? You mean animatics? Animatics, animatics. Animatronics, animatics. He's like, did you shoot the animatic? Okay, good. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. send my trailer. <laughs> but that's just it. Like he yeah. might be one of those guys that just does that. Because he didn't give a shit about actors in terms of giving direction, right? Uh, right. F- from the stories. And I think, like, once he would probably, like, I'd, it'd be interesting to watch him use today's tools, knowing how he worked and kind of his thoughts on, on the process. Mm-hmm. It'd be fascinating to see how, uh, how he would embrace the tools now. Definitely. Yeah. What, what movie? Here, there's a good, there, we can think about this when we come back. We can have an answer to this. If you could t- like go back in time, this is a movie I'm making, by the way. Uh, <laughs> pitching it right now. I'm calling it. It's going to be bad. But if you, you go back in time and you take Hitchcock 
like in his prime and you bring him into now and you can let him remake any film from like the last five, 10 years. <laughs> what wow, film would shit. you have Hitchcock remake? Okay. I'll think about that. With, with all of today's modern tools. Yeah. Yeah. I'll think and, about and, that. And cast. Watching. Yeah. That, that's a, <laughs> that's a fun brain think. Um, okay. I'm going to think about it too. And then we'll be back with uh, more talk about Vertigo. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished. And I'll let Justin go first since he's the complete newbie to this. Well, I think uh, my watch was a little tainted because I watched it through my VR helmet while on the edge of a building. So I had vertigo. <laughs> uh, no, sorry. I, I just watched it the traditional way. Um, I really enjoyed it. Wait, wait, is there an option to watch it that way? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So th- I've got an Oculus uh, Quest 2 and you they, they have an app called Big Screen and a various other like you can set up a virtual environment you work out of. So if you could play a video within that virtual environment and one of my environments is like the edge of a massive cliff in a giant. Nice. Anyway, <laughs> my friend got that for Christmas, so he's been telling me about that as well. It's pretty incredible tech. Like it's it's beyond. I went from uh, trying VR for the first time in like 2015 or 2016 to I now own two helmets. I have PSVR and I have Quest Two, and mm. I can't even imagine this tech is in my home. Anyway, this has nothing to do with, <laughs> with Vertigo. <laughs> um, I like the film quite a bit. Uh, I. I was lost a little bit during part of it. Not lost is the wrong, wrong way to phrase it. But um, I, I think I, I had to rewind back like five minutes because right at the handoff, um, basically when he starts following the other girl, which is, you know, the, the, the double, you know, that, that gets hired. Uh, I, I must've drifted. My thought must've drifted. And I started going, where is this film going? Uh, but I, I did very much enjoy it. It's beautifully shot. Um and uh, very well acted. I, I'm actually kind of impressed at how uh, how dark it is because Jim, Jimmy Stewart's character is not uh, a, and he's not a traditional like heroic protagonist in any way. He's a very very sort of twisted individual to some degree. Um, yeah, and, we'll get yeah, into that. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and I really did like that. For, like you're not following. <sighs> a traditional kind of detective story. It's very much a story of obsession and, uh, and he does some things that are quite questionable and maybe caused, um, you know, some, some serious pain in in these people uh, or especially in the double, right. Um, Whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever, however much he's twisted up her mind. uh, Yeah. I think you're being awfully generous. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I don't want to sit on a podcast and tear apart a Hitchcock because, you know, that, that's going to come after. And I'm not really going to, there's not really a ton to tear apart, but as a, as a character, at least, uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart's character, uh, he's a despicable human. <laughs> a I'm, lot of I'm glad you finally got there. I like, yeah. I was like, oh, is he? I was like, I, I guess I watched a different movie. I was like, no, this guy's just a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what's interesting about it. Like the first time I watched it, I was in college and I think it's just, it didn't grab me the way most Hitchcocks do. Like, it's just not fun. Like, it is not a fun movie. That's it exactly is, the way I would put it. It's, it's more like, fun. it's it's more adult for Hitchcock in terms of like very serious, very slow. It's a slow burn. Like, I watched it with my son 
And he's like, what the fuck is this? And then, <laughs> and he, he's like, he is like, what did he say? He says it's called the emotional manipulation is how yeah. he's treating her. I was like, nailed it. I'm like my son's woke. I've done a good yeah. job. He's aware mm-hmm. that that's not how you treat women, lady folk. Um, but yeah. in the first time, and I, I think I had the same drifting thing you had, Justin, where I don't know if it was just that I watched it late and my mind wasn't like on it because it's slow and you could drift away. And so I missed like the whole handoff section was confused by that. And so the ending, I'm like, what the fuck's happening? And then she fell and then it was over. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and I was like, I hate that movie. I didn't want to go back and revisit. It. I didn't want to fill in the blanks, but I kept on hearing about it. I kept on hearing about it. And so I think, you know, a couple of years ago when I was revisiting Hitch- a bunch of Hitchcock, I rewatched it and I was like, ah, this is what I was missing the whole thing. And then I was like, well, I think, I think, I think it's better, but I'm like, but fuck, there's some, there's some unokay stuff going on in here. Oh yeah. And, and I wasn't sure anyway, but we'll continue. I want, uh, I'd love Daniel to weigh in. Uh, yeah. I think the first time I watched it, I bumped up against the ending, but I also think I was constantly aware of like, it's weird to cast Jimmy Stewart in this only because, and this might just be my hang up, like what he's, he's usually the good guy. Um, or even in rope, like he's not like the aw shucks guy, but he's still like the voice of reason and still like a good person in rope. And then this movie, I was like, why is he treating women so poorly? And I just, I couldn't get over like even his friend like or his ex uh, fiance, the way he treats her. And then, obviously that judy yeah um, like all of it just didn't really work for me so i think it's more my hang-up but at least this time watching it i can appreciate the performances a lot better like especially kim novak like the way i was like i am just not into this character the one that was the the ex or sorry the wife but then when she does the switch and she's judy i'm like holy shit like this is this is great. Like I wouldn't have expected the same person to do these two. She's great. Like it took, I, I yeah. had to go, it is two. it is the same actor, right? Cause she's yeah. so yeah, it's the same actor. Yep. No, no, I know. I know yeah. that, but, but, <laughs> but I, but because she's so good when she switches over to Judy, they actually is such a different person. Mm-hmm. Like just mannerisms, everything with like the way she carries her body I weight. She was younger. That so many things like, and just the way they've subtly changed her makeup. Mm-hmm. and hair and stuff it's just like it's so it's such a, a minor trick but it's so well done and she's that's what makes you go oh she's great in this movie yes. like she, her switch um before we um i mean we got lots of stuff with jimmy stewart but my son's context he just watched we watched the greatest um show on earth last week mm-hmm. which is the a dw griffith movie that clown? he plays that? buster a clown that's how he's described <laughs> Yes. And my son, my son, we were watching, and he's seen some other. He watched It's a Wonderful Life, but he didn't realize he was in that movie until the girl jumped off the bridge, and he's like, "It's a Wonderful Life." He, <laughs> I, was like, that's, I was like, "You realize that's him, right?" He's like, "No." And anyways, but but the the clown one killed him because I don't know if you've seen that movie. Uh, you, uh, anyway, have you seen that movie too, Justin? No, I actually. Sure. Anyway, he plays. He's just in clown makeup the whole time. I won't ruin it, but. That was we watched last week. He's like, this is a different guy than Buttons. This is not Buttons. <laughs> <laughs> but because, and that's just what it is, too. It's such, it's, it's, I want, if, if you remade this, you could remake this movie today if you told it from her point of view. Yeah. I was thinking the whole time, like, before the switch, I think that's the only reason I was like, oh, I guess it makes sense that they don't tell it from her point of view. Cause like, it's Hitchcock. It's not like he's afraid to have women be the lead of the movie and push the action. I was just like, 
why isn't this about the Kim Novak until the switch happened? So it, I guess what both of you said, like it is slow. Like you actually have to stick with it. You can't just be like, oh, it's this. It's this. like it really does take its time to unfold and like yeah. Uh, and it's weird because what it's but- doing. Because even my son was like watching as he's like forcing her up that tower. My son's just like this. This is she looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, he's like he's like, he's like fan of it even this time. No, even and 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 it's just again it's a tribute to her. It's just like it's she's acting. You know, she's doing what she's supposed to do, but it's like she's doing such a good job. I'm just like it's not stop doing what you're doing. It's not okay what you're doing. Yeah, and, but what's interesting because I forgot at that point, and at that point you're wondering. I'm like, has he gone completely crazy? Or does he know? And, hmm. and and it doesn't tell you until he gets to the very top. And it all yes. comes out. And you yeah. mentioned the necklace. And you're like, okay, that's why he was staring at the necklace and and what he remembered there. Like Because at first when he when he shows the necklace and it cuts back to the scene in the, the art gallery, you just go, oh, he's remembering the necklace on her. And maybe he bought that for her because he's so creepily fucking turning her yeah. into this perfect version of the woman he wants anyway. Um so it's not clear if she's just added that because he gave it to her or she held on to it. Uh, and so it's not until that very, very end where you kind of like sympathize with him again because you realize the hell he just got put through by like being convinced this woman he loved died after this other guy died. You know, he's been through a toll. Well, I mean, she is playing him, right? Like she was hired to obfuscate and, and trick him essentially. Oh, for sure. Time, but right? but she did. She fell in love with him, you know, mm-hmm. legitimately, right? Yes. So yeah. So she's. It's, but that's what's and that's what's fascinating about the ending is like because they're both bad people. Mm-hmm. You know the way he like. I just think what she did to him, you know, being hired to do so, is. I don't know which is worse, what she did to him or what he what he's doing to her. Because but also because he's doing it to her initially not to punish her. He's not aware that she tricked him until yeah, and I think it's until that last night when he sees the necklace and he changes his mind about going to out for dinner to Ernie's and he's like, "No, let's go somewhere else." Like up until that point, he's just man, like manipulating her and forcing her to turn into somebody she's not. You know, that's so after the switch, but pre before the switch, <laughs> he's essentially taking advantage of somebody with mental illness, like and, all, and, and a married woman. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. This, that was kind of my thing. Was like, uh, one, yeah, like I'm not quite sure what he liked about the woman. She didn't really feel like she existed. It was he knew her for I two get, days. I get, for two I days, and that, they're confessing their love. Yeah, like I get why it's like that, so that I can appreciate the Kim Novak like switch. But it was just like. I wish he spent more time with this version so I could be like, oh yeah, he fell in love with like her actual personality in addition to looks. But like what I liked about the movie is like every time he's like in a scene with someone, like you get like his personality and you can see how he bumps off of people until he's with that first version of Kim Novak. And I'm just like, she's giving him nothing. He's got nothing to do. And I'm not really like, invested in them being in love like it just feels like she's, well it almost it, sorry continue no i was just gonna say it almost seems like uh he sees this person who's more wounded than he is and then decides oh i think i can push myself into that life in a way that you know i can convince her to love me or something it's yeah. almost it's, it's not really love at first sight it's it's like obsession and wanting to own something at first sight is what it, yeah. it felt like to me but I've only seen it the one time. 
So, so I mean, fun. it probably is that, but I think that's also probably subconsciously why I wasn't that into it. I was like, oh, I, I'm, I guess I'm too much of a romantic. I was like, I liked it. I liked his relationship with her. I didn't like how he was still in her life, but like the ex, uh, ex fiance, like I liked their back and forth. I thought they were funny together, even when he was like pretending to show her like what it would be like if he had a desk job with his thing. And I liked her joke where she painted a version of herself and like stood next to it. I was like, this, like, this is good. I know. Like, I, my son was like, I, I want them to be good. I know. My son was like, that's hilarious. And he's like, that's not funny. He's like, this guy sucks. <laughs> my son yeah. was not into Jimmy Stewart. Not so now I'm worried that my son's gonna walk away with a bad impression of Jimmy Stewart, not want to watch the Jimmy Stewart movies. Uh, but he does have buttons to fall back on, so there's that. Uh, yeah, same thing. It's like you feel bad for her. I'm like, she's great. What's wrong with her? And she's clearly into him. Yeah, well, she says there's only one man for me. Yeah, he kind of laughs it off. She, yeah, she tells him, he's like, hey, whatever. He's yeah. like, uh, so I uh, want to get a movie and I can tell you more about this other girl I love. And then she's still with him while he's like in the hospital or sanitarium. She's like there trying to like try things to get him out of it. I but, thought she was like obsessed with him, but I was like, oh no, she just wants to help her friend. No, Maybe she yeah, has she, her shit together too much for him to find her like attractive yeah. <laughs> or something. That's fair. He doesn't deserve her. The movie. No, I, I, I agree with that. He doesn't deserve her. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad she doesn't end up with him because that would suck for her. Yeah. There's other versions of Jimmy Stewart I'd like her to end up with. Definitely. <laughs> Not so this the, one. <laughs> <laughs> so the very ending, she just gets uh, gets scared by somebody coming and jumps? Or does she, because it's off screen, right? Does she mm-hmm. jump or does she just slip? I feel like, like she's spooked. Like, okay. I don't yeah, think I thought she, I don't, she slipped. Yeah. She's, not, she's not killing herself. No, she's no. Not, it, she's yeah, I think it's. I think she maybe thinks that it's like the ghost of the woman that she helped murder, like she's racked with guilt or something. Mm. Uh, it's kind of how I read it because it's all she's in silhouette, right? Uh, and that habit, maybe you know, the nun's habit could maybe be confused for the silhouette of the hair. Uh, right. is, is the only thing I can think. But they, but again, they don't set up any sense that she's having any kind of like guilt over the murder she's done right? no but it's it jimmy stewart pushing her up the tower and and confronting her like that has put her obviously put her into a position where she hasn't got her faculties together entirely mm-hmm. and so he contributed to her death simply by you know putting her in that position to be scared to oh be on for the- sure like that's the irony is he ultimately kills the woman he loves mm-hmm. or, he, or he loved formerly uh, Hitchcock and later on in his career described this movie as about a man who wants to sleep with a dead woman. <laughs> yeah. This is how he described it. He's like, which one's that? Oh, that's the one about this. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, nailed it. Yeah. Not, not bad. Um, what, what's interesting. I didn't realize this. Uh, I was reading up on it and this was one of five Hitchcock movies that disappeared for like 35 years because they had all of these different disputes with distribution and okay. so from like nine, the 1950, like almost after it was released theatrically or initially, because, you know, they didn't go to Blu-ray right away in the 1950s. Uh, after its initial theatrical release, it was never seen for 35 years. Really? Uh, huh. Along with huh. Rope, Ver, Rope, Rear Window. Uh, there's a couple of other ones, the, the Man Who Knew Too Much, because they were all caught up in... A distribution like some like like different companies folding and this and that and nobody was quite sure who had so the probably ownership. VHS it would it would have been when it like, yeah a theatrical after in nineteen eighty four once they cleared up all the rights they did a re right. they put a, they did a re theatrical 
of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, and so I feel like I wonder, because initially the movie was not very successful and Hitchcock blamed it on Jimmy Stewart being too old and people being creeped out by the age difference. Cause he's like twice the age of her. I mean, he should be creeped out by the character really. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and I wonder if he, and he, so they never worked together again after this movie. Right. 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 Um, but it's, it's, and so it's one of those things I'm like, I mean, I don't think a younger actor doing what this guy is doing is less creepy. <laughs> no, I, but you might end up with the 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 you effect. You know that Netflix series you, where you've got this young, attractive, yeah, you know, person who's doing these very, very creepy things. But you know, the female viewership loves him because he's young and attractive, and uh, you know, he does these creepy things. But it's for love, so it's okay. You know, it's the it's the Jacob effect in Twilight. It's you know, <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. Because here it almost feels like. Is he senile? Like, are you? Is the man like lost his faculties? He's you know, he, what is he? He's, he's forty nine. Like, he's not that old. No, no, he's not. But um, I, I actually, I don't know. In terms of how the film is structured and the theme of it, it, it seems almost like an older character makes more sense. Is kind of what I'm driving at. For sure. But case. I'm just like, it's it's Hitchcock like throwing him under the bus for being mm-hmm. too old for the role, as opposed to going, oh, I made a movie about a creepy protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's kind of a villain, uh, and that's what and that's what I do find fascinating with this movie is that you walk away going, was he the good guy or the bad guy, and was she the bad guy or was she like they're both? That's what's yeah. like, like you said, like the darkness of it is like I don't know who to root for in this movie. Well, I don't think you root for any of them really. It's a it's a downward spiral film. You you root for what is it Maggie? What's it, the girl? Yeah, she's she can live on and have a have a wonderful life. <laughs> yes, be happy that she's not Midge, stuck with him anymore. Mid- I think yeah, Midge is her like Midge. nickname or middle name or whatever. Midge. Yeah, she was Midge. Great. But yeah, I, I think that was maybe when I was younger. That was my. She was like, "There's no good guy," but I I do like it better this time watching it. Um, even though I I think I'm pretty much digging my heels in on what I didn't like at least I can appreciate that. Yeah. Like it's more complex than just a good guy getting caught up in a bad, like everyone's compromised. And that's other than Midge, everyone's compromised. Like this is definitely one of the Hitchcock movies that I would think that if you're going to remake a Hitchcock movie, this is a good one to do it because it is so, because I, I think you could push her character further mm-hmm. and just play that like ambiguity of, and and just play up her own, self like doubt over whether or not what she did was wrong and how she feels about what she's doing. Um, and then the ending is even more tragic as you know, she's been racked with guilt over this the whole time, right? They, they, you get a sense of it, but it's not, I just think you can, if you just had more of her character and her storyline and maybe even knew again, just play it from her point of view. And I think I it's a, a stronger movie and you could potentially make him more sympathetic because you're like really modern day the modern day version would be much, it would feel like gone girl or something like the, the, the approach taken now on this storyline would may very much feel like one of, one of those adaptions of like an airport thriller or something like that. It kind of, kind of would feel like that with that, that this story, but today's sensibilities, I don't know. That's, that's how I feel like it would be made if it was remade right now. Like, especially yeah. if you're taking her perspective, it, 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 but even like Hitchcock did movies like that if you look at like, um, uh, what was the one uh, Emma's for murder, right? Is basically mm-hmm. this, like the guys, they hatch out the plan before and then you see her overthrow it, right? But instead in this version, uh, Grace Kelly's character would be Jimmy Stewart, right? 
kind of coming right. in and, and putting a wrench into the whole system. And then mm-hmm. you're in, and then you're kind of torn with how you feel. Uh, I don't know, but it's just, I think this would be one that I just think would be ripe for a remake because you can kind of shift it and pivot it and, and tell a new story, but still honor what, like the interesting complexities that are there that are like, you know, seen by 70 years later standards, creepy as fuck, you know? <laughs> Uh, you know, the movie doesn't age well in that capacity, but it does in the sense that you, you're able to walk away and go, I mean, they're all shades of weird and dark and fucked up and none of this is okay from any side. Like she, at least she's not, at least she's kind of terrible too, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not just him being super creepy and, and her getting off scot-free. Right. In 1958, would this have come across like his his pursuit of her? Because the, there was this entire idea of chivalrous love, and you 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 pursue the one that you want, and you chase them down, and all this sort of thing. That was like a societal norm at that point. Oh yeah, so you when just this was grabbed released, a, we just grabbed a girl and yeah. kissed her. Asking a yeah. girl if you could kiss her was unromantic. So at the time of release, would this interpretation have come from anybody or would this just be like, oh, okay, well, he's a romantic at heart and he really wants to win this girl's heart. So he's there for her. Like, would and, that- and, Well, I'm sure there was lots of women who were also just like, and again, I don't, I shouldn't be speaking for women from 70 years ago, but like that mentality that's like, well, he's just in love with her so much. It's so romantic. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I did not know where the movie wanted me to land. On. Like, obviously I have my own opinions, but like, to your point, I don't know because I'm sure there would be women that are like, oh, well, he's way better than her husband. They should be together. But I also feel like because you're setting it up that he's friends with her husband and the husband set them up, that you would have another portion of the audience being like, how dare this guy like step in on this man's way? Like, I, like, I feel like adding that detail makes it unclear like how you're supposed to feel about him in that sense. Yeah, do either of you know, because this would have been like during the Hayes Code, right? So what was the rule around like extramarital affairs when it came to the Hayes Code? And I guess the trick is that she's not actually married to the guy, so she's technically not yeah. cheating on him, right? She's but his he, mistress but, or something. But he doesn't know that. Yeah. I, I, guess there was, the... I guess there was mistresses in movies. Yeah, they, they definitely had them. I'm sure there was some... Okay, uh... Adultery, sometimes necessary plot material, must not be explicitly treated or justified or presented attractively. Well, check mark. <laughs> yeah. it, is not prese- it is not presented attractively. <laughs> <coughs> no. uh, so um, I really liked a lot of the vertigo sort of cam work. There wasn't a lot of it, but whenever they would actually get into his sort of his, his fear, uh, you know, well, vertigo, his vertigo, you know, yeah. or when he's, when he's climbing the clock tower steps and they do the, yeah. the rack focus zoom and all that stuff. I really like te- technically a lot of that stuff a lot. Like the film is oh, really so many, beautifully shot. Well, just yeah. even that with that one scene early on when they walk in the room, my son was like, that is red. Yeah. I, I was like, yeah. I'm like that. They don't, we don't make film stock like that anymore. <laughs> you got to color it like that now. I mean, you can get, you can achieve that color now, but uh, you know, that was just a natural thing. So, uh, I mean, this is where the vertigo shot comes from, you know, that, that mm-hmm. people do now. Uh, and I can only, I, I imagine the way they had to have done it then is miniatures. There's no way you get that camera angle and do a dolly down and a zoom out looking straight down at like, a, mm-hmm. like, at like an alley or a staircase. I, I'm guessing they built miniatures to replicate the staircase that they were walking up to do those shots and to do mm-hmm. the alley. 
Because there's just no way you would be able to drop a camera like yeah, that. Yeah, it's such and, a heavy camera then. Well, yeah. and and like, the, but because you, you'd be dollying down or back, and then rack and then racking at the same, and then zooming at the same time, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. just didn't have you, the technology did not exist. It barely. Like he mm-hmm. wanted to do the this, this vertigo shot. Uh, all well, the, the, the all alleyway all, one could have been a projection screen that they dollied into that they had because it looks like a projection screen. Uh, oh, maybe, but I think I think it was miniatures. Um, okay, because there were people moving down there, right? Like, or was it? You're talking about the shot before the cop falls. Not when the cop falls. I'm talking about when he his like specifically all of his vertigo shots. Right, 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 right. Because there's nothing moving in those shots. I feel mm. like those are all miniatures. Because he wanted to do this shot like all the way back to Rebecca, but the technology didn't exist. You know, you the way the zoom lenses worked, you couldn't do them. Um, somehow the same same way there's one really cool shot that i never noticed before is when he has that fur when he fur when she first like finally checks off all the boxes and looks like the the, the girl that he loved uh mm-hmm. and they had that super long kiss and it dollies around and you go from being inside that um hotel room to the to the uh stable back to the wow. And I, and I wondered, I'm like, is that all rear projection? Like one side was one screen and one side was the other? Because there's no cuts there. I was like, how did they do that then? It, it, the only thing I can think of is it was rear projection on two sides uh, and they just moved around. It's possible. I mean, yeah. rear projection was pretty commonly used in a lot of this stuff. Yeah. The, this, yeah. Is the, this was the first movie mm-hmm. with computer animation. In the uh, Saul Bass, uh, Saul Bass opening credits. Yeah. It's Saul Bass's worst opening credits. Well, and credits. the dream se- sequence is him too, right? So yeah. there's that really yeah trippy dream sequence in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, I love Saul Bass's stuff. Same, I, but, not, one, but this is terrible. Like this is just a weird. But you can oh, see, it's, it, yeah, it's still got a unique sort of feel and design that's all his, yeah. right? But like it's interesting to think that 1954, like that back then they were doing computer, they were playing with. Like, can you imagine how long that must have taken? Probably for it. Well, computer to what extent, though? Because like just the rendering process alone and just how big that computer must have been. That computer would have been the size of my house. That's (laughs) isn't that only 13 years after the Turing machine? So like, how the hell would that even work? That's like (laughs) I can't even. That's what I'm saying. Like that. Like, it's amazing when you just know, because I remember like a, a, a family friend of ours is like an old, old computer person. And I remember him showing me a photograph of like one of the first computers they had in the sixties. And it was a massive, massive machine, right? Yeah. It'd be a whole room. It, it would be yeah. just endless. Yeah. And, and the discs yeah. were the size of like flying saucers. They were just, <laughs> and you, you'd be lucky if you could, you know, fit a fucking text game on it at the most. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. Yeah. yeah. No, but I, I, even the Saul Bass stuff is, uh, I don't know. I, f- I find it really charming because uh, partially because of the amount of work that goes into it, but also I'm just a big fan of Saul Bass. Uh, yeah. Even, we, even the, the one feature film he made phase four is so fucking interesting that like, Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah. He yeah, directed one feature film and it's fucking brilliantly insane. Oh, it's, cool. it's really good. It's called phase four. It's phase you four, should okay. do it for this podcast. It's, I should, I did, I've never even heard of this movie. I'll have to check it it's out. Brilliant. It's, it's so I'm not, I'm not going to spoil the way it's one of those things you should just, pick up a copy and then watch it cold. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we totally, when you see my new film that, that's coming out, uh, we completely ripped off Saul Bash for our opening credits. We had Is your whole, score all Bernard Herrmann-like too? It's or? very, it's it's like a, it's, it's like Bernard Herrmann, but like an update on it in terms of instrumentals, hmm. but also like hmm. we tried to play in the flavor of the Cayman Islands. Um, but then we just straight up ripped off Saul Bash for the opening credit sequence with an animation that is like my nice. favorite, one of the favorite things in anything I've ever done. And I can't believe we got away with doing it and uh, and we're able to do it because it's just it's fantastic. It's better than the rest of the movie. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I shouldn't say that. But it's a great hook for the movie. Uh, it, 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 it sets the, it, it's it's one of those things that I love about what the opening credits do is it sets the tone in a way I was yeah. really hoping to in, in the opening. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my early commercial for a movie that I'm not 100 percent announcing yet because <laughs> the title is still finalizing. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, like what kind of stuff have you, um, in your own work, Justin, have you been influenced by Hitchcock? I know you, you say you haven't ton of, watched a ton of his I haven't stuff. seen a lot of it, but I, I think anybody who makes or d- builds any sort of suspense in any kind of film is influenced by Hitchcock, whether they know it or not. Like his, his the tendrils of his influence, influenced John Carpenter influenced, uh, right. you know, everybody that I would have grown up watching or idolizing or forming a style from got their style from Hitchcock, got their style from a lot of those classic directors. So while I'd seen Psycho when I was very young uh, and The Birds and Rear Window, I saw those as a teenager. So maybe a little bit of just, uh, you know, the concept of the bomb under the table is always like a, a key component that that you always think about when you're trying to build suspense into a scene. You know, what can the audience know early that the characters don't know? So you, you know, you get a sense uh uh, of tension in the scene now, like that sort of thing obviously but in reality um i would have to say that uh, in terms of direct influence yeah very little I, I mean i did make a single take feature that was sort of inspired by rope to some degree like i made that film broken mile that's that's you know an 82 minute single shot uh and the whole idea was to try and build tension from from um slow suspense build and stuff like that but uh maybe some framing, but other than that, uh, like I can't track trace a direct line, but I can definitely trace a, a multi-step line between multiple creators that started with Hitchcock and whoever influenced Hitchcock ultimately, because I'm sure he had, there were, there must've been people that made it made give him his formative style as well, that he grew up, whether it was film or whether it was painting or whether it was whatever else, you know, he, it didn't come, it probably didn't come out of his brain. Like, in a vacuum, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I would say that, yeah, I, I would be lying if I said, you know, that there was no inspiration at all because, you know, he's, he's the granddaddy. Yeah. I, th- I think your, your comment about, you know, influence, whether you're, you're aware of it or not, I think makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Um, yeah, no, I was just curious. Uh, and then, and then, and then Daniel, what's your relationship like with Hitchcock movies? Like, are you, are you genuinely a fan or have you watched I, a lot? I am a fan. I mean, as I said up top, I my my favorite Hitchcock movie or my favorite movie is North by Northwest. Oh, North like your Northwest. favorite movie, like yeah, like oh oh cool. Um, which I know Jimmy Stewart thought he was going to be the lead in, and yeah. I think that was like the first time he realized, oh, we're not working together anymore. Yeah, it was a whole thing. He he um, well, he he did this movie, I think, because like the idea was like, well, I'll do this one, but then we're going to do the other one together. Because I think it was around the same time. Like this, I think. North by Northwest follows vertical. I have to yeah. look that up, but it's close. Like they're, they're, 
close after a couple each years other. off or maybe just one year off. Yeah, and I feel like I remember reading that at some point and then he like screwed him out of it somehow. Yeah. Because he was thinking he was starting to look too old to play like a leading man. Um, but I so yeah, I I still feel like I've got a couple of gaps in terms of his movies, but I feel like I've seen all the popular ones people talk about. Um but yeah, I'd say North by Northwest, and then I really like um Psycho and To Catch a Thief and stuff like that. But and Rope, which I only really watched like in the last two or three years. Same I was rope. really impressed with Rope. Rope I finally got around to just like that was one of my last big Hitchcock black holes. I've seen I've seen any of them that are available like to watch. There's a whole bunch of like mm-hmm. really early ones that he made in the 30s and 40s that just don't ex- unless you can find like an old VHS copy. They've never right. been put on disc or a streamer and probably never will unless Criterion does a, a re-release. And I know they, they're literally ending. If you uh, Criterion had a big chunk of uh, Hitchcock movies on and they're, they're leaving the, the streaming service now. Uh, streaming's great for that. but Because <laughs> yeah, they were on Crave. and then They'll be back. But, but yeah, Cri- yeah. no, Criterion had just... Like, what's cool about the Criterion channel that I love is that they curate them for a short period of time. Like, yeah. they don't keep titles on for years the way some distributors do. Mm-hmm. Some, of the, some of their titles are, are kind of on loan from another streamer, I think. Um, so I'm sure they'll come back at some point. But there are... Yeah, there's a handful, probably like a dozen or so that probably most people will never see. And they're probably not that great anyway. Like you just, you know, the only reason to watch them is to be a completionist. He's, he's remade yeah, I, I a couple of the, his movies, right? Like that's what a couple of them one, one for sure. The man who okay. knew too much, he remade. Um, but he might've remade movies and called them something else and change up elements. But yeah. that that's the only one that he did like a direct remake of his own movie. Okay. I think the box that I have, it, it has about 16 of the minute. I think it's four discs per box and then we might have uh, the same one is it like velvet yeah it's all velvety and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. i have the same box it collects dust like a motherfucker yeah um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's the that's, that's how i watched vertigo tonight <laughs> yeah yeah i watched it on that disc uh so yeah it's been sitting there on my shelf forever and i gradually get to them as i go but uh i certainly need to watch uh, north by northwest uh if you haven't seen if you haven't seen torn curtain it has one of the best like killing scenes ever <laughs> okay that's what i remember uh, that's that's the one thing i remember i think it's gene hackman too is the oh really i want to say it's gene hackman i, I could be see wrong. that I so that's one that. of his later films i would assume like yeah now i'm gonna look yeah. it up but uh it, i just remember that's where i remember that movie it has like one of the most brutal like awesome like two people like just like physical strength having to fight each other to the death and it's wow fantastic and awesome great uh now I got a Paul. It's Paul Newman. Sorry. Oh, Paul Newman. Okay. Well, that, yeah, I didn't think Gene Hackman was in a. No, I don't know why I thought that, but it's Paul Newman and Julie Andrews. Oh wow. Uh, well, I suppose and, Gene Hackman could have been because he, you know, he's was making movies all through the sixties and seventies. Yeah, so. he'd have been. They'd have, they'd have, yeah. they'd have, they'd, the timeline would have worked out, but I just don't yeah. think it. I don't know why I thought Gene Hackman for some reason. <laughs> I was going French Connection on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's another movie with a character that you shouldn't and shouldn't actually like. No. <laughs> yeah. did he, apparently, did... they made him much nicer than the real person. Well, I, I worked for a guy uh, for years in the early 2000s who really he knew the guy. It was based on the Popeye Pop Doyle. Like the, yeah. The, the, yeah, he was friends with that detective and kept bragging about it. And then I remember watching The French Connection for the first time and thinking, 
Jesus Christ, maybe you shouldn't brag about this. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I knew him. Yeah. <laughs> did did you, either of you think of that question I posed before? The uh, if you were to have, if Hitchcock was to remake a, a recent movie, what would you want to see him do? Mm. Uh, I did think that's, about that's it. Very. But tough. I only really thought of like Nolan movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I think I went and again, it's like I don't know why I picked these because they're perfectly good movies that don't need to be remade at all. But I was like, I just love to see what his tweak on both knives out and parasite would be. That'd be a thought of parasite as well. Actually. Cause they'd be slightly different, right? Like his view mm-hmm. of parasite would be different than Bong, Bong Joon's, uh, but still like would be beautiful in a different way. And, and his, but I haven't actually watched it yet, but the, the criterion parasite I have, it has a black and white version on it. Oh, that, wow. that, would make sense for like the Hitchcock version of Parasite. Um, yeah, yeah, I was like, I would, I want to <laughs> do something like Nolan esque, but then I was like, nothing in the last five years from Nolan. Though, I think so. The Handmaiden could be really, really interesting. Uh, the, huh. the Korean film, The Handmaiden, I think that could be a very interesting Hitchcock film, uh, especially because it, it it would come from a, an American perspective, and uh, yeah, I, I could see that being really interesting. But the, again, we're all, these are all suspense films. I would love to see someone like Hitchcock tackle something completely out of the box. Like, I don't know, a fucking Saturday Night Live movie or something. I was going <laughs> like, to say, I, I, that's an obvious way. It's like, I want to see him do super bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, the whole bunch of men treating women poorly. Oh! <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart and super bad. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Still at high school. Everyone else is the same age. <laughs> no, he plays McLovin. Oh, yeah. oh boy. Because <laughs> he's the only character that actually has sex in the movie. It's true. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we uh, joke, but that's what would happen. Yeah, pretty well. I, definitely, that is the path right now, though, for, for most of the uh, auteurs type directors who come up and get really popular on an indie film, right? They get snatched up to do. I don't know, Jurassic World 5 or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it, it seems to be the tra- trajectory. So maybe, Jeremy, you have that in your future. You, I don't From then, Canada, I wish. I wish. Yeah. I, my phone. I, my phone's right here. I'm just waiting for <laughs> Kevin yeah. Feige to call me and give me yeah. in a random bottom-of-the-barrel superhero. Yeah, well, maybe Howard the Duck might not be bottom-of-the-barrel. Done. Done. Yeah, yeah. I, I can, hey, I can make that less creepy than the original version. Well, I mean, it's not would hard. You, would you get some duck tits though? Would there at least be duck tits? In? <laughs> I'd have duck dick. So okay, much. That's, duck there you go. Though. That's better. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and I'd still cast Leah Thompson. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's good. Not. Yeah. Yeah. I. That's one movie I still I keep on meaning to show my son because that scene is gonna blow his mind. <laughs> in the middle of the movie, I remember as a kid going, "Wait a minute, what are they? What's happening? No." <laughs> But he's the duck, and they—he has the right anatomy. I wanted my—I went to my, my—I was over at. I remember it was a sleepover at my aunt's house, and having to look at my uncle, being like, "What's?" He's like, "Just, just don't worry about it. It's fine." <laughs> like, I was like, "This is." He just so didn't want to talk about it with me, who was probably eight at the time, and being, uh, "I think there." He's like, "No, let's just eat your fucking popcorn, fat kid, and yeah. shut up." I don't want to. <laughs> I didn't know this scene was in here, and I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh that was that was the 80s 
parents yeah. showing stuff to kids that they didn't know was going to be in it because there's no trailers, no reviews the way we have now. There is no like common sense media.org where you could mm-hmm. go, is this movie appropriate for my kids? People, parents just did their best and guessed and then went, eh, it's fine, whatever. Oh, not, I remember not, like The Gate or something like that, where it's technically a horror movie made for kids, but then the first act of the film, a kid dances with what is he thinks is his dead mom, but turns out to be his dead da- dead dog. And then runs outside and his father's face collapses in on itself and falls into like maggots and goo. And it's like a PG rated horror movie for kids or something like that. Oh, the rating system was so flawed in our childhood. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I love it. I'm glad that it formed me into the twisted individual I am today. Oh, same. But it was also the beauty of the fact that it's like if our parents paid money to rent something and brought it home. We were watching it no matter what. Yeah. It wasn't on a streaming service we could turn off and just pick something else two seconds later. It's like we were going to watch that. It didn't yeah. matter if it was good or bad. You watched the whole thing because that was your entertainment for the night. I think I think my parents uh, just kind of gave up at a certain point and let me watch anything as long as it wasn't like heavily with sexual violence. Like uh, they were pretty much fine with anything. But if it was like Sliver, or Basic Instinct or Jade or something like that, it was mm. it wasn't off limits. Actually, by the time Jade came out, I was old enough. That it didn't matter. But the point being is that uh, a lot of the psychosexual thrillers that Joe Esther has films, my parents weren't super keen on me watching that. But anything else was fine. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. We watched like everything. I just, I remember watching every, where now it's like my son, he's 12. And like he, tonight he's like, can I watch it with you? I was like, I don't think you're going to love it, but it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like, because before I'd just be like, oh no, I just show him, you know, big blockbustery kind of movies and movies that are more aimed for kids. But, you know, over the last year or two, he's just been wanting to jump in and watch everything. And I'm just, I, I, there's very little I censor from him now. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just fun because he kind of like, he can, he can keep up with it and he, he gets it uh, and, and it inspires some interesting, sometimes awkward conversations, but we can usually just kind of laugh through it and enjoy it. And it's just like, he's like, this is just weird. He's, he's like, he's playing with alcohol, dad. I'm like, yep. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's like, he's like, there's so many things that are wrong with what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah, marathon him a bunch of 80s teen comedies and see what happens. Oh, he's, <laughs> well, that's kind of one of the fun things we do as a family is like we watch as a family and, our, and, our, and their kids are just horrified by the stuff that we laughed at as children. Like, you guys found this funny? <laughs> this is what? Hilarious. Oh, watching European National Olympians European vacation with them, with just the way they treat the daughter character. My, my uh, both my kids are horrified. <laughs> my daughter was like, "This movie is not okay. That old man is sexualizing her <laughs> in a way that is." I'm like, "That's Fraser's dad. That's who plays that actor. That's John Mo Mahoney. John Mahoney. Yeah, yeah, Mahoney. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, back to back to Hitchcock. So, yeah, final thoughts on Vertigo. I think um, I need to see it again before I have a final thought. Yeah. No, it is one. Of, it's it's not one of those ones you can walk. Like I think it's a, to, because it's it's one of his more challenging movies because it doesn't paint like here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. It's very it's it's far more complicated than a lot of his movies. Well, I don't think it has that ratchet tension suspense buildup that a lot of his other films that I've seen have. The, it, it is tense at times, but it's very much a character piece and and it's um, more art house than what yeah. he usually does too. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of well, weird in that sense. It's not really a. It's it's not the typical commercial fare from him. Well, he's got a '60s style psychedelia dream in a film made in, ni- in 1957 or 1958, which is uh, pretty ahead of its time. 
Like, well, that's just it. Like yeah. it, it's not like I, I, he balked and, and blamed um, Stewart for like the the low box office for it. But it's like I think it's just a movie that's ahead of its time. People weren't quite ready for a movie where you challenged society's views on your lead character. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's not until we get into counterculture movies of the late sixties and early seventies, mm-hmm. right? So it's like it is a movie that's very much ahead of its time, but it's made with that like old school Hollywood style of acting and everything. So it's, it's, a yeah, weird... it's got that staginess to it, but the underlying psychology is a little bit more nuanced than you'd expect for that kind of staginess. And, and I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah. And, and for me, they don't quite fit. Mm. Um, they try really hard and it makes it interesting, but it's like, yeah, if he, if Hitchcock had made this film 15 years later with a slightly different style of acting, uh, mm-hmm. and, and probably oh, more some, verite 16 millimeter. Well, I mean, I don't think Hitchcock would ever make that, but you know, like that style, but that with that approach, yes, I could see it being, yeah. Like the, yeah. the don't, the don't look now kind of approach to this story as opposed to the, or, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the visuals could remain similar, but I think it's more of the style of acting. I think if you, mm-hmm. if you, you know, if you played more the nuanced style of acting, as opposed to the, you know, what Jimmy Stewart does, which I enjoy for what he's doing, Mm-hmm. But uh, for this, it just makes it just it's yeah, the movie wants to be no, more nuanced than the time allows it to be. I, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. I also I think you kind of said part of what I was thinking was I like it better now. I still think that not because he's too old. I didn't even clock like how much older he was. Than, he's, I think he's like twice uh, her age. Back. It was just I think. Yeah, it's the difference between like a movie star and a character actor. Like he's such, he's so Jimmy Stewart that like I wouldn't even buy the nuance from him, even if he was trying. Which I don't, I don't know if he was. It's just like he's such, uh, like one. He does like the one thing he does it really well, and I liked when he had opportunities to do it in this movie. But it's like. Uh, like I needed someone to like disappear into that, into this role because of how nuanced it was. And he just, he can't. And, um, well, he does. He was talking earlier about, uh, Hitchcock isn't really an actor's director, so he wasn't going to help him through that process either. No. And because there's almost like, no, and I've seen Jimmy Stewart with a more nuanced performance in other movies, but when he's left to his own devices, which I'm sure he was here, you get like very the very balanced, charming, funny, roguish mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart, or like over the top crazy, like just mad. I'm just I just want to grab you and shake you and kiss you all over. You know, you get that kind yeah. of guy, and there's nothing in between in this movie. Like he goes from one to the other with no, and it's like ooh, need need a little ramp up there. Yeah, you get a bit of whiplash, definitely. Well, well, that and that's what it is. Where it's like he's where where it makes you go, is he crazy? Because that's kind of <laughs> how he's playing it. Well, he but, kind of is to some degree crazy because he he gets obsessed with this woman he doesn't know, and then he gets obsessed with the double of a woman he doesn't know. I know. Well, that's what my son. When we were watching, my son was watching the you know that day, the first day he follows her, and he's like, "Where is she?" And just like clocking all the different places she goes. And my son's like, "She's cray." <laughs> then he's just go back to your friend and be like, "Your wife's cray." Yeah. And then and then how did the movie is like? Oh no, Jimmy Stewart's cray. He's like, "I was wrong." He's like, "She's fine." <laughs> he's fucking lost it. But then when you realize. He was following her. He was set up to follow her, and she knew he was like. When you start mm-hmm. picking apart all of those layers, I'm like, oh, she knew he was watching her the whole time, mm-hmm. and was like purposely allowing him to follow her. 
And because my son's like, he's stalking her. I was like, no, he's being paid for it. So technically he's a detective. <laughs> later on in the movie, he's going <laughs> to wait. Yeah, just wait. <laughs> that comes later. Worse. He stops getting paid later. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it's it, i still have a weird i still don't know 100 percent how i feel about the movie either way i think like talking it through with you gents it's given me like i i'm it allows me to appreciate the parts that i think should be appreciated but also like i said it's like it's a movie that's ahead of its time uh and so it's hard to appreciate in the style that it's made but uh, I, I was both ahead it. of its time and of its time. So because of those clashing yes. sort of styles, yeah, it clashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's like, so I'm like, I'm all for a remake of Vertigo to update it because I think there's a way to do it. Yeah, the problem is, is would it be done that way, or would it be done in the most base level name association way possible? So they could be like from master Alfred Hitchcock in the trailer, you know, and it's <laughs> it's yeah. it's made like a movie of the week. Well, I don't want Chris, Chris Nolan can't do it because he just enjoys killing off women anyway in his movies. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> he, that's, he's the obvious choice because of that. He has an obsession with like dead wives in his movies. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think who would, who would be the right filmmaker to, to direct the Vertigo remake. Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know. I was going to say the hereditary guys that Ari Aster. Ari oh. Aster. Yeah. He, probably do something pretty interesting with it i, I mean I'm, in, I'm, it I'm into it i yeah. watched that yeah for sure <laughs> all right well uh well thanks for checking out vertigo with me gents yeah thanks for uh, Thank having, having me on yeah i'm glad you could take that one off your list justin and i'm glad you continue to feel weird about it daniel <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> let's all go to the thanks for joining us for vertigo black hole films is a proud member of the that shelf podcast network you can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on ThatShelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at LonJeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.